I want to share a message with you this morning. We've been going through the book of Ephesians and uh, just carefully going through that. I'm going to skip over chapter 3 because it's, it's sort of a, a recap in, in 1 and 2. Um, and this message today I've entitled, It's the Way We Roll. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, it says this, and this is our memory verse actually for the month of June. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to pers uh, persevere, or pers I'm sorry, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We pray, God, that it goes out and does everything that you want it to do here and accomplish today. Be with, uh, be with this servant, and Lord, grant your anointing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first three chapters uh, in Ephesians, the word outlines a believer's new identity, as well as some of those benefits. We've talked about that in the past, but just to kind of recap on that a little bit. We're called to be saints. And not to call ourselves sinners anymore. We are saints who are capable of sin, but God doesn't tell us that we're sinners now. We're saints. Because we're saints, we need to act like saints and not still acting like a bunch of sinners that hopefully, uh, you know, someday will be saints after we're dead and some group of organization makes us saints. We're saints now. When Paul writes the letters and, and uh, Peter writes letters, he says, to the saints, at, to the saints, at, to the saints out. They're living people. They're not dead people that have gone up waiting to become saints. They're saints now. That's important to know. We've been called to be saved by the blood of Christ. We've been called to be filled with the Holy Spirit, that down payment of things that are coming. We have been called to inherit eternal life, and that's something that's coming. Yay! Yeah, woohoo! That's, that's good to know, isn't it? Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? Even though, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, right? I have eternal life. Take your best shot. And because of God's grace, I've been called to, uh, I've been called to that grace. I've received that grace. And through faith, then I receive God's grace into my life. It's all God's doing. Not by any works, uh, not by my good looks, which I'm really glad about that, but just because of, of God and his grace, and I receive that by faith. And now because our God is able to do more than we can ask or think, and that's how the apostle ends chapter 3, and that was our memory verse a couple of months back. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that's at work in us, right? To him be glory in the church. That's how he ends chapter 3. And then in chapter 4, he says, therefore, therefore, walk in this newness of life. Walk differently than you used to walk. Because you have all of these benefits, because of everything that God has given to us, we walk different. It's a job description. The way we walk is proof that God has done something in us and is at work through us. And the church is the place that God designated to, to help us to learn how to walk. 
I wanted to put it up on the screen, and I didn't because I just didn't find one that I really liked. But you ever, you, you, how many have kids? You've had kids, or you're going to have kids. You, you teach them how to walk, right? They don't walk as soon as they, you know, out of the delivery room, they don't start walking. And really, that's kind of good, isn't it? <laughs> that they're not. They get that terrible too soon enough. Uh, but, but they're walking, and, you, and you've got to have help. And I just love watching... Uh, moms and dads, you know, helping little Johnny to walk or little Susie walk. They just go, <laughs> we just become idiots when we're around babies, don't we? Around little children and toddlers. And, and we go, come on, come on, you come over here and say, Daddy, come on over here, Daddy's calling you. And so they're walking along and boom, they fall down. That's okay, that's okay, you can do it, you can do it. And so there's a mom, come to mommy, come to mommy. You, want, you love mommy more than daddy, come over here. And so they're, they're walking and and that's okay, that's okay, you know, because they've a lot of padding. They're used to, that's why they're padded right there in that, in that one area. And it's just kind of fun because we don't beat up kids if they fall down. They're just learning how to walk. So you, you come into the body of Christ and you don't, you don't have it all together yet. Anybody in here have, that all, have it all together yet? I'm walking, I've been walking with God for over 40 years. I don't have it all together yet. I still fall down. I'm glad I have some padding left. We fall down. We make mistakes. We, uh, we, we do fall short of what the expectations that God has for us in our life. Yet, the church oftentimes becomes a place that doesn't tolerate falling down. Uh, we become judgmental, condemning, and critical of other people that are trying to learn how to walk. Shame on us for doing that. That's why churches throughout America are declining, I believe, as the, a generation has come up and said, man, you guys talk the talk, but you don't really walk your walk. And Jesus is uh, supposed to be love, and God is love, and I don't, I don't really feel the love coming towards me here, I feel a lot of condemnation and, and guilt and shame and everything else. And that load uh, drives people away from Jesus. It doesn't bring them to him. It's a problem in America. It's a problem in churches, not here. Other places. Now, the word walk is proof that God is doing something in my life. How I walk is what I really believe. In Romans 12, 1 through 3, it says, in King James, it says, I beseech thee, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable service. And then, don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I love those verses, but the very next verse is really critical too, and it says, and don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. In other words, with all that transformation that's going on, be careful of this thing called pride, spiritual pride. It can happen so easily. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship. We, all of us here, 
are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now, the word walk is a descendant of an old English word called wilcan, which really means to roll around. I think the Australians have it right when they talk about a walkabout. Uh, you, you, you want, you're walking around. You're just, you're just moving through life. It's a wheel can. It means to roll. So Paul, in his day, didn't realize that what he was saying, this is how we're supposed to roll. This is the way we roll. We do this. It's how we roll. I mean, we, we coined that phrase, right? This is the way we roll. I see it on the, on the side of uh, vans, and whether you're in the plumbing business or electric, it's just the way we roll. We stayed at a Holiday Inn Express the other day, and they had city buttons. You ever had one of those? Stay away from them. <laughs> anyway, it said a little sign above it. It said these hot rolls. It said, this is the way we roll. And I'm thinking, no, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. And then it's, we're supposed to roll a certain way. We're supposed to walk a certain way. It, it's, it's the way we do things. It's, it's behavior. Because our behavior is important. It reflects what we really believe. We can move from, this is... In Ephesians, it's just great doctrine, great theology. Unfortunately, you can know theology up here and have great doctrine that you say, yeah, I believe that, yeah, I believe that, yeah, I believe that, but live totally different than what you say you believe. And we see that. We call that hypocrisy a lot of times, but we just, we just see that a lot of times in people's lives. So the walk reflects what we believe. What we say we believe has to become visible. And it becomes visible by the way that I walk. Remember the, the kids' song that says, be careful little ears what you hear, careful little mouth what you say, be careful little feet where you go. It's the way you walk. You walk differently. So the rest of Ephesians are going to run across this word walk a lot. Walk in love. Walk wisely. Uh, walk no longer the way the Gentiles did or the way that you used to walk before. Um, walk is going to be, we're going to be focusing on some of those walks here over the next couple of weeks. But the, come back to this walk, I believe, starts in the church because the church is the place where you really learn uh, how to walk it out. Now, the church has problems. Um, not ours. But the church overall has problems. You know what makes it a problem? You do. No, you know what makes it a problem? Me. The person sitting next to you. You know why? Because they're people. <laughs> Any place there's people, there's a problem. In fact, the more people you get, and we all want to grow, we want our churches to grow, but the more churches grow, the more problems begin to happen. And there's, there's a constant, there's a friction that begins to take place, even in our giftings. We'll talk about this uh, a little later on in chapter 4, verses 11 and, and beyond. But there's a friction that takes place, even in, with the giftings that you've given, where you make a collision. The way you see things, the way they see things, the way they've experienced, the way you experienced it, your, what you see and the way they, what they see. And so there's this, there's this constant collision of uh, potential division. Now, the mature believer learns how to walk, and, in, and the mature believers that are in that body of Christ help those who are just like the little kids, the toddlers. We're teaching them how to walk. 
Leadership teaches people how to walk. That's what they do. You have to have leaders, and you will find out what those leaders are called here after you know, maybe next week. But people in the church help other people to learn how to walk, and they're watching you, how you process hurt, irritations, what you tolerate in your life, what you allow, they're watching that. It's very important that we teach how to walk, that we become mature walkers ourselves in how we walk, how we process things. I think that oftentimes we disqualify ourselves from being servants just simply because we forget that we're supposed to be a servant. And we, instead of serving people, we want to control people. And churches can be very good at controlling other people. We can control people through doctrines. Doctrines are good. But we can control them by saying this is what we believe, and anybody that doesn't believe what we believe, we exclude you. And it drops the brotherhood-sister relationship that God puts us in this thing called a church because the church is a family. Any of you have any siblings that you don't get along with? <laughs> I wasn't asking for any hands, but thank you. <laughs> we're not videoed, so we're going to be okay. All right. Those brothers and sisters are still those brothers and sisters. They're still siblings. They're still dads. They're still moms. And uh, they make mistakes. And they do things they shouldn't have done. They say things they shouldn't have said. But the sign of a mature believer who is a servant of Christ allows and their love covers a multitude of sin. That's what the scripture says. Love covers a multitude of sin. Hmm. So when my brother sins against me, love can cover that sin if I am truly following or walking after the Lord Jesus Christ. And isn't that what God has done in your life? How many times have you fallen down? How many times have you said, God, I I'm never going to do that again for another week? <laughs> and and you say, oh, God, Daddy, Father God, forgive me. What does he do? Nope, you're done now. Forgives you. Because love covers that. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't say, oh, gee, that's okay. We're all, you're all sinners anyway. No, it's not what he's saying, but he just covers it. That's what love does. We cover it. We got your back, in other words. I got your back. As brothers and sisters in Christ... When we see things where a brother falls, a sister falls down, you just say, you know what? Come on, back up again. I got your back. And maybe you have your back close enough to where you can actually catch them <laughs> when they're falling. That's a pretty good idea, isn't it? I got your back. All right, so 
Here's how we roll, and, and uh, we're not going to get into a lot of the detail this morning, but I just want to talk about one thing, and, and particularly that rises up here as I, as I look at that. Paul is saying, therefore, I, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Whoa, I'm prisoner of the Lord. And I'm thinking about that because next thing that he says is that we should walk in humility. Oh, in gentleness, too. It is written that God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. You know what? You and I are the same way. If I'm around a humble person that's broken, I just want to come over and love on them. But if I run across somebody that's just real proud and arrogant, I just want to stay away from my house. I don't want to be even around you. Everybody, you know what I'm saying? We, just, we, we pick that up because that's a God-like characteristic that's in us. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and you and I will do the same thing. Somebody that's broken and humbled, we just go, oh, man, you know, that's okay. Let me cover that. Paul writes, I, the prisoner of the Lord. Why does he say that? Well, he wrote a lot of his letters from prison, (laughs) but that's not what he's referring to. He's a prisoner of the Lord. In other words, he's saying that God captured my heart. So has God captured your heart yet? See, that's the difference between a churchgoer, Sunday morning person, and just somebody that has the theology and a real born-again believer, a disciple, full-blown follower of Christ is is this idea of, of humility. God has captured my heart. Before I was saved, I went through all the motions, baptized, and I was baptized, a Lutheran, Methodist, a Catholic, and they all, they all did it wrong. But they all told me that they did it right, except for the, the new place that I went, and they said, no, those were all wrong, but you got to be, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Anyway, but it's, just, it's just funny how we are. It's, we're no longer humble we get proud of who we are. I'm proud to be a Methodist. I'm proud to be a Catholic. I'm proud to be an assembly of God. I'm proud because I speak in tongues and you don't. I'm proud because I don't. You do. I'm proud because of this. I'm proud. You know, like, how do we ever get along with, with all this pride? Pride is the thing that killed you in the first place. Nobody ever came to Jesus and said, Here I am, God, you need me. I'm proud. What happened in your life, if you think about it, is God broke you. He broke you down. That's what I loved about Teen Challenge. Teen Challenge students, man, they come out of drugs and alcohol and all kinds of sex and issues. Just horrendous lifestyle, living on the streets, living under bridges. And then God breaks them down so far, he removes everything from their life. And then they go... And then God steps in and says, you know what? All the stuff that you thought you needed, you didn't need any of that. You just need me. And they're going, oh, yeah, God, I need you. He shows up. He made an appearance in your life at at that point, that breaking point when the pride was gone and you had absolutely no place left to go. And somehow or another, we forget that as we start walking then. We get proud of our walk. We get proud of the way that, hey, I've conquered this and I've conquered that and I'm okay. Okay. And so we lose that humility. It's so important for us to have in our life. 
Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Now, he wasn't always a prisoner of the Lord. What Paul was about was making prisoners out of other people until he got captured. His story is in Acts chapter 9. You can follow along with me in your Bible app if you want, and I think I've got it on the screen as well. But Acts chapter 9, verses 1, probably read through 16. says this, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's interesting, isn't it? Both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, walking about, it happened that he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, but get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And see, he had great theology, but he didn't even know who the Lord was. He never heard his voice. He doesn't know who's talking to him here. And he's on a mission. He's on a mission for God to, to capture and murder and, and to destroy people who were walking in the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And people were walking in that way, walking after Jesus. God had captured their heart. And Paul, because he was self-righteous and so religious, had all the doctrines in his head, knew the scriptures, been, been trained by Gamiel, one of, the, one of the top leaders of his day. And, and Paul's just going, well, we've got to get these guys because they're wrong and we're right. So let's kill them. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, <laughs> they brought him to, into Damascus, and he was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Have you ever met anybody that had their eyes open, but they don't know anything? Now, there was a disciple at Damascus, I love this, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I'll bet he was. Scared the bejeebies right out of him, didn't it? And he was praying, and, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Wow. But Ananias answered, <laughs> no way. Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. However, the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Whoops. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, and love that. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, you've got to teach Paul how to walk here, right? And immediately 
there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up, and he was baptized, and he took food, and he was strengthened. Now, Paul was a very proud man. In Philippians, it talks about how proud he was, or how proud he used to be, of himself. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a a Hebrew among Hebrews. He was well-trained. He was circumcised on the eighth. Everything according to the law. He lived according to the letter of the law. So he's pretty proud of himself. Proud of his ancestry. He's proud of his knowledge of Scripture. But Paul could not tolerate anyone who was not part of his theology. Paul condemned to death anyone outside of his particular denomination. He was a Pharisee. Yet Paul was chosen to be an instrument of God. That's amazing that God would do that. We wouldn't pick him. See, that's what we do, isn't it? Well, God would never pick him. <laughs> really? That's what I said, too. God, you've got to be kidding. I'm the one most likely to not succeed. Why would you pick me? And the Lord spoke to me one day and said, that's why I picked you, because you're the one most likely to not succeed. Without God, you can do nothing. See, you got to learn that. If you don't, if you don't have God, you can. If you have God, you can do anything. If you don't have God, you can, you can do nothing. Anything you can do, you can't. Just, you're just crazy, man. You're just out there by yourself. But Paul needed a lesson on how to deal something that belongs to Jesus, the sheep of his pasture, his beloved, his bride his church now here's what happened personal story for you years ago I got into that self-righteous mode it can happen um, I was on staff at Teen Challenge I had been a pastor for a number of years and associate pastor and youth pastor and, and uh, just all around good guy knew the scriptures knew them well had my belief system but I looked at the church and I saw that she was just so messy been in a church and board members squabbling about stuff and everybody's mad at somebody else about something and people are, well I'm leaving and and uh, well I'm saying you're not running me off those you know just different attitudes from different people it's like man I just I hate church I hate church. I hate going. I hate playing their silly game, their religious little games. I hate dressing up on Sunday morning just to, just to act like I'm okay when I'm not inside. It's a, one of my favorite songs is a, a stained glass. Oh, I forgot the word. Really a favorite, wasn't it? Stained glass masquerade. And um, that's, what we, that's what I saw. I was a stained glass masquerade. We put, on our, we put on our religious stuff. And stained glass speaks of the church, but it's a masquerade. It's a mask. We're all wearing our little masks. And so I was angry at the church. And so when I went to Teen Challenge and I saw what the church wasn't doing, God was doing without her. He was reaching people in the streets. God gave me a vision one, one morning when I was pastoring, and, 
And I saw prostitutes and drug addicts, and they were on the streets of Des Moines. I knew, I knew where it was. And I said, what do you show me that for? He said, that's where I'm sending you. Okay, I'm sending you to Teen Challenge. And I knew Roger from years ago. We handed out tracks and things in Sioux City. So I called Roger and said, hey, I had a vision this morning. God's calling me to Teen Challenge. He said, hey, nobody comes to Teen Challenge for the money, so it's got to be God. <laughs> so I said, okay, so I'm on my way. And so I called my board and I said, I'm out of here. You guys can fend for yourself. I'm tired of playing this. And uh, didn't quite say it like that. Okay, gave him some time. Gave him a couple days. Anyway, went down there and I'm going, yeah, this is, this is where it is. These people really want to go on with God. Church people don't want to go on with God. They just want to play. These are people that really want to go on with God. They've had an encounter with God. They needed an encounter with God. And they've had it because God showed up because he loved them so much and he broke them of all their addictions and all their, all their stuff. I mean, they're, they're still learning how to walk, but he, he broke them free. He humbled them so much that they're just so in love. He captured their heart. And that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be around a, a, a bunch of people that God somehow captured their heart. Not just church people, but I mean captured their heart. I just come in to sing, but he captured. I'm captured. I'm not perfect, but I'm captured. He owns me. Lock, stock, and barrel, so to speak. And so in that process, I really got, I got even more twisted in my thinking about the church. And so I would take Teen Challenge students and I would go to churches and we'd preach. And I'd tell you what, you wouldn't want to be in those, in that church service. I was hot. And the anointing was still there. When I ever had an altar call, man, I mean, people came to the altar. I put, the, I put hell in them. The fear of hell in these people. And I was angry at him. And God still used me anyway. Can't believe it. And I went on, I went on this rant about the church and how bad it is, how bad the church is. Church is this, the church is that. Went in the sanctuary one morning. See, that's one of the things I kept doing because I wanted to keep praying because I knew that I needed God. And so I went in and I was praying one morning and it was right after one of the staff had a, had a little issue with my wife. And he said some things to her and said some things to me that about her and I was hot and I backed him up against the wall and I was ready to punch him right in the nose in the name of Jesus <laughs> and I contained myself and I left and my heart was racing I went into the sanctuary and I fell on my face before God and I said God I'm sorry but that guy really ticked me off he shouldn't have said what he was saying about my wife Holy Spirit spoke to me, stopped me in my tracks. He said, you're right. Now you know how I feel when you talk about my bride. I never thought about that. I never thought about that, Jesus. We are the bride of Christ. We get dirty, we get our robes dirty, we get our fine white dress that we got married in. <laughs> See, I can't really relate to being a bride, okay? But I understand the picture. That nice white dress that we married Christ the groom, the bridegroom, 
who loves me, clean me up, put, dress me in righteous robes, and took me into his, to himself, into an intimate relationship. That's what God does when he captures you. You become intimate with him. Just like a husband and a wife become intimate. Not in that sense, you understand what I'm saying, but intimate. And so when he told me that, I had, oh man, I repented with tears. I said, God, I am so sorry. I said, I know how you feel every time I do that. Every time I say something about your bride. So I really am careful. Now, I joke around a little bit about differences in our denominations and things like that. I do that with everybody. Not to be offensive, but just to open our eyes to get us to see how silly that really is. Because we're the bride of Christ. I just went to Living Word Lutheran Church this morning to try to stir up the men to come to the men's retreat. I want to stir you up to do the same thing so we can come together as a band of brothers, the body of Christ coming together. No longer Lutherans and Assemblies and Methodists and Catholics, and, but just the kingdom. It's about the kingdom, dear ones. It's not about being in competition with another church across town. It's about being in the kingdom. It's about being in love with the bride, the church, the bride of Christ. God may use me, but he really doesn't need me, especially if I'm going to be resentful and ungrateful and judgmental and lose my humility and operate in pride instead. Remember, it's the strongest person in the world is not the man or the woman who can put others in their place, but the person who is aware of their own place. You and I are called to be servants, and servants are humble. We need to be like Jesus. Read Philippians chapter 2 this week. Focus on it. Am I, am I that way? Have I allowed pride to get back into my life again? Micah chapter 6 verse 8. It's one of my favorite passages. It says, He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Great, great verse. I read a story recently about the Jewish people, the Hebrews, that would not even step on a piece of paper that was on the ground. And the reason that they wouldn't step on it was because it may have God's name on it. Well, that sounds kind of ridiculous to us, but it's a good, good teaching point. I have to be careful in my walk whom I'm stepping on. You never know who has God's name in there. I've seen God do amazing things with people, and I thought, there ain't no way this person there is ever going to come to know Jesus. <laughs> He's a loser, man. God, you just... He deserves hell. And God turns that around. He's doing something in that person's life. And you and I need to be like Ananias and not be afraid to be used by God to help somebody in their life. But that takes humility. It takes Ananias' attitude that says, okay, Lord, here I am. I think this guy's a killer. He's out to get me. But if you say that I need to go over and talk to him, 
lay hands on him, pray for him, I'm going. Walk humbly with God. Has Jesus captured your heart? And this is how you roll. Back to Ephesians 4. Therefore, he said, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And here it is. With humility and gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, and being diligent. Diligent means working hard at this to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Humility. I was in a church service one morning and a lady came, came up and I had microphones I had placed at the front of the church for people to, to come and, uh, and share with if they needed to. It was all done decently in order, but this lady comes up weeping, takes the microphone, and uh, I, she looks at me with tears in her eyes and said, I got something I need to say. I said, go ahead. And she began to ask the church to forgive her of the way that she was conducting her life. She said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hypocrite. I have not been who you think I am. I am so sorry. And she said to the church, would you please forgive me for my attitude towards some of you in the church? I'm not saying we need to do that. I'm just saying that's what she did. Right? And I taught the congregation there to say when somebody asks you to forgive them, will you please forgive me? I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? And then they said, yes, we forgive you. And they did that, and the next thing you know, she comes over and she's kneeling down at the altar. And pretty soon another person jumps up, and they come up, and they start confessing stuff. And another person, i got to tell you, revival broke out in Shenandoah, Iowa. Revival broke out. We never had an evangelist come in to do that. It, just, it was just the Holy Spirit moving in one young lady's heart to say, I just need to get things right with this congregation. Wow. Now, I'm not a singer. I'm a joyful noisemaker. And I don't think anybody has ever heard me singing and said, would you come back and do that again next week? But um, this needs to be a lot longer. That's okay. Am I on? Okay, we're going to sing a song. Micah 6 8. He's shown the old man what is good. Would you stand with me? You've been sitting, you've been so kind this morning. He has shown the old man what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Sing it again. He has shown the old man what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? One more time. He has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy, walk humbly with thy God? I think you've got it. Now, I want you to go. For, I, want you to, okay, I want you to get in your car as you not yet. But when you get in your car, start singing that song. And ladies, if your husband starts acting, getting all full of pride, you know, like men do sometimes, then you can start singing that song to him. He has shown the old man what is good. What does the Lord require of thee? What to do justly? Love mercy. You better start walking humbly with God, Buster. <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father God, thank you for your time, the time that we've had here together. This is your church, your body. What a, what a great and incredible work that you've done in each one of our lives. Father, let us purpose today as we leave here to walk humbly with you, to do the right things, to walk in the right way, to walk in humility, uh, to be gentle, patient with other people. May kindness and gentleness be the identity of who we are as a people of God. And uh, Lord, bless all of these as they go their way. The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Messiah. God's people said, Amen. Amen.